Lindsay. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Alstra.、Um, maybe before we start, you could give a little introduction of who you are and what you do. Because one thing that I have noticed is that、um, it's easier to ask you than me try to put in words what exactly is it that you do and who you are. Yes. So my name is Lindsay Vertner, and I'm an award-winning peak potential strategist and transformational speaker. What I do is I help high-achieving women who struggle with perfectionism, overthinking, and doubt really learn how to master their mindset and increase their clarity, confidence, connections, and cash flow. That is my ultimate passion.、Um, that is what I love to do. That's my God-given purpose, and that's my mission to help women just. Create a first-class life full of purpose, fulfillment, and happiness. I think, like just as you mentioned, perfectionism. I think it's something that so many people that are high performers—that's what they deal with.、Um, I, I myself, I, I have finished bachelor's in sports psychology, and last year I, I reached out to many athletes asking what are their main challenges. And one、mm. thing that I didn't expect was that pretty much every second person was perfectionism. I'm perfectionist.、Um, so, like, maybe are there any ways how to? Because I think having high standards is good,、mm-hmm. but being in a place where they affect you badly in your performance badly, or maybe even even like cause you to not take any action or procrastinate, that's where it's not as good. So, how maybe to get that balance where it's good, but it doesn't affect you. Yes, so perfectionism can be a very slippery slope because, on the、yes. one hand, you do want to have those standards, but on the other hand, when it becomes debilitating, when it causes you to procrastinate and really overthink things, that's whenever it becomes a struggle. That's whenever it becomes an issue. And so, I see it in a lot of my clients. I am a recovering perfectionist <laughs> myself, <laughs> and sometimes I even still have to remind myself that、yeah. it's all right as it is. But what I found over The years is that perfectionism can be a sign of a low sense of self worth, and it the, confidence and self worth are two different things. And all of us have these limiting beliefs, these inner limiting beliefs, and everybody has them. We're all growing up with them, and you know we have our main limiting beliefs, and sometimes they shift over time, but we all have them. And so our sense of self worth is often a result of a limiting belief that we have on the inside that says I'm not good enough, or maybe it's the fear of failure, or the fear of rejection, or the fear of abandonment, or the fear of success, even.、Yeah. And so that's how it shows up in our lives. It shows up as being a perfectionist. It shows up as being a people pleaser and all kinds of different things like that. And so some things that I use to remind myself that. It doesn't have to be perfect. Is if you don't move, who starts to suffer?、Hmm. So a lot of times when we're working in our gifts or our skills or our talents, and we're trying to make it perfect, but the longer that we're holding off on our gifts,、yeah. our skills, our talents, the people that we're meant to serve—and this goes for everybody, not just entrepreneurs—the people that we're meant to serve continue to suffer because you are the solution to their problem. And when I thought about it that way, it really helped me to shift my mindset、yeah. and say, "Well, I don't want anyone suffering because of me." <laughs> so that's usually、yeah. my number one go-to:、oh, okay, who's going to continue to be in pain or to continue to be in hurt if I don't move on whatever it is that I'm working on? 
what you just mentioned, not being good enough. Um, that is one thing that when I was listening to other podcasts you were in as, uh, on as a guest, um, you mentioned a lot about not being good enough. And I wanted to touch on limiting beliefs because um, one thing you said is that that I want you to touch on a bit more is you said that they never go away. They just show up differently. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I wanted to ask about. Is it that they show up differently as like different limiting beliefs or those limiting beliefs always like stay with you, but you just learn ways how to deal with them or cope with them? It's more so that they evolve, just like we evolve as humans. So I'll use myself, for example. My main limiting belief was the feeling of not good enough. And that's a very common one, especially among women. And so as I got older, I was able to understand where it started, the root cause of it, and how it developed throughout my lifetime. And so what happens is... Some of us never become aware of our limiting beliefs. And those are the people that are stuck in those cycles. And it's like, you see them 10 years from now and they're doing the exact same thing yeah. in the exact same place. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not something that they're necessarily happy about yeah. doing um, or really genuinely joyful about. And you're like, how, like how? And it's because they haven't identified any of their limiting beliefs. And so then you come to the phase where you begin to identify them, but it takes a lot of work to heal them. A lot of emotional work, a lot of emotional energy. And then you have the people that don't want to put in that work. <laughs> so then you, you how do you the identify them? Usually it's through some outside help. It's through self-reflection and, you know, that self-discovery journey. I definitely recommend hiring a therapist. Even if everything is good in your life, <laughs> therapists are amazing because they can truly help you to evolve and really personally grow. And everybody can use a therapist no matter what. Um, but especially if you've been through um, particularly traumatic events in your past or, you know, just dealt with a lot of different obstacles. So therapy is one way where you can start to identify those um, always being on a path of personal development and personal growth is a way you can start to identify those. Hiring a coach like myself, yeah. you can start to identify those. Um, but there's a lot of different ways, but mostly as long as you are on that path of personal development and you're honest with yourself and you're honest with how you're holding yourself back, then you can start to identify what those are. I think that honesty, or even like when, when I started, my self-development journey, I was like really young, like 14 years old. I just understood that I'm not confident. I'm insecure. And I was really, I didn't have anybody to go to. So I started looking into books and searching answers. And I think another lesson that I learned and why I tell people it's important to have somebody that is helping you is that one thing is that you identify what are those limiting beliefs and where they come from. And you know all that, but something else is that as you identify with them, a lot of times you can easily go down with all the thoughts of oh i'm like this because of this and then you start to feel sorry for yourself and th then you make things even like worse for a while until you actually find a way how to get better so i think that's why it's important to have somebody on the side that well first they tell you it's okay like we we all have these things and it you don't have to beat yourself up for being the way you are because like mm -hmm. as long as you take action steps toward changing it like you will be fine um but that is one thing that um, 
also about not being good enough. You mentioned that, which is something really interesting for me, that um, when when you were in your accident, which I will ask you to describe a bit more. Um, I'm sure you have done it in many times. But <laughs> <laughs> just so people have a little idea of what is it that I would say that probably was one of your like life transformational moments. Um, and you said that because you had really quick recovery and people expected you to be this like miracle girl and you mm-hmm. you are like this person they had these expectations of you and that they would every time when you would meet with them they would expect something from you that you would like help them or get them some kind of results because you got those results and that's when you started to feel like oh I'm you started to question whether you're good enough um so like maybe you can touch a bit on that and just explain what was the event itself because that story is Wow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is whenever I really started to take personal development to the next level, because what I'm about to explain is the thing that brought everything over to a boil. I thought I had healed all of my past traumas and things like that and was living a good life. But then once this event happened, it was like, wait, okay. (laughs) I was living a surface level good life. I wasn't really living out my truest maximum potential. And so what had happened was in May of 2007, I found myself waking up in complete darkness. I had no clue where I was. I went to move and I couldn't move. I went to speak and I couldn't speak. And so as my eyes began to adjust to the darkness, I noticed that the moonlight shining through an unfamiliar window. And eventually I began to panic. Like, because what else do you do in a moment like that? Like, I can't see, I can't speak, I can't move. I have nowhere no clue where I'm at. And so I panicked so much that I just exhausted myself out to the point where I passed out. And I'm grateful for that because I don't know how long that I was panicking. I don't know how long that moment even went on. It seemed like in a blink of an eye, but eventually I was so exhausted that I passed out. And so the next day when I woke up, I thought to myself, like, man, that was a crazy nightmare and it felt so real only I slowly realized that I still didn't know where I was I still couldn't move still couldn't see still couldn't talk the only difference was now the sunlight was shining through that same window that I knew wasn't mine Um, but before I could panic again a lady walks over to me and she starts asking me questions and I'm looking at her like this lady is crazy. I have no clue who she is. And she's asking me, what's your name? And do you know what date it is? And (laughs) in my mind, I'm answering her. But in reality, the only thing coming out of my mouth was uh, 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 because there was a tube down my throat keeping me alive. And it turns out this lady is my nurse. She proceeds to tell me that an entire week earlier, on May 13th, 2007, the car I was driving flipped multiple times before going off the opposite side of the highway and landing upside down. So I was cut from the car and immediately pronounced brain dead upon the scene. 
they put me in a helicopter and lifeline me to the nearest trauma hospital. And again, I was pronounced brain dead by a different set of professionals up on arrival. And I don't know everyone's belief systems. I don't push my beliefs on anyone. But as for me, I believe in Christ. And so that was a but God moment for me, because despite being pronounced brain dead on multiple occasions, they proceeded to do emergency surgeries anyway. So I wake up. They usually don't do them if you are like brain dead. Whoever made that call, I am grateful for, because whenever... Like if you go and you Google what happens when someone is brain dead, majority of the articles are going to tell you that there's, there's no recovery. There's no coming back from brain dead. And I know because I Googled it myself. (laughs) That's why I was asking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And so I am grateful for the multiple times that there had to been at least three times where they could have just called time of death and put me in a body bag. But there was someone who went against all odds and said, let's keep preserving her body for whatever reason. Um, For me, again, I like to believe that they were listening to that inner voice of God within them um, because, you know, science said I was dead. Their education said I was dead. Their visible eyes was looking at my lifeless body, which told their logical brain that I was dead. Yet, they still put me in the helicopter. Yet, they still performed the surgeries. Yet, they still put me on life support. They didn't expect me to make it through the night, and they had only placed me on life support until my family could be contacted. So, you know, they could come have last words and things like that. Um, but I pulled through. And so that's what I woke up to an entire week later, this lady telling me that not only had I been in this car wreck, but I was brain dead and I'm well, not at that moment, but (laughs) I had been brain dead. And amongst a long list of injuries, I was also paralyzed. So brain dead and paralyzed is is Was it that you were paralyzed on one side or which one was it? Yes, my entire left side was fully paralyzed. Okay. Um, how do you deal with, like one question that I was, one word that I was coming up with when I was listening to your story was uncertainty. There's so much mm-hmm. uncertainty in those. And there's a lot of people that are going through uncertainty right now. So how how do you deal with uncertainty? Because I think that is something where a lot of people they either do nothing um, or their fears get in the way. But like in your case, you you actually managed to recover really quickly. And also one thing you mentioned was that you, you made a choice between being a victor and a victim. Um, mm-hmm. And like, that's another thing that I was thinking about, like how, what made you make that choice? Because you had so many reasons not to make it. Right. (laughs) And if I had listened to the people around me, I would likely not be talking to you right now. And so what I realized as the nurse was filling me in on all the details was, first, thank God I'm alive. And second, I can't change the past. No matter how much crying, no matter if I threw myself the world's biggest pity party, I cannot change what has already occurred. I can only work on the future. 
and what hasn't happened and try to write that story. And so in that moment is whenever I realize I either could be a victim to my circumstances or be a victor over my obstacles. And I chose the latter. And it's something that I've noticed and learned over the years is that when you're stuck in victim mode, you give up your power for change. When you're constantly blaming everybody else, focused on the past and blaming all of your situations, your surroundings, whatever it is that you use as an excuse to not do the work gives up your power for change. And so we have to remove ourselves from victim mode to be in the first position to change anything. And so that's what I had to do. I couldn't blame, you know, the car wreck. I didn't know what happened. So I didn't know if there was another driver. I didn't know if there was an animal. I didn't know if it was my own doing, like I fell asleep or something like that. I have no clue. To this day, I still don't have that answer, but I couldn't focus on the what ifs and the what had happens and, you know, what was going on in that time. I had to focus on the future and what I desired for my life. And a big thing for me was faith as well. And so again, whatever you believe in, you have to believe in something. Even the belief in nothing is a belief in itself. (laughs) So whatever you believe in, you have to believe in something because that's going to be that first key in helping you to push through. And so again, for me, that belief was in God. And I believe that there was a plan for my life and that that plan did not include me being paralyzed. It did not include other people taking care of me day in and day out. And because I held on to that belief, it gave me the drive to move on to that next step with setting the intentions and the next step with taking action because again, my doctors, they had pronounced me brain dead. So if it were left up to them, I I would not be here. And then once I actually survived that part and brain activity resumed, they were telling my family that if she woke up, she's likely not going to be the same person. So there was that part. And then once I woke up, they were telling me your life's likely not going to be the same. You're probably not going to go back to school because I was an undergraduate at the time. And (laughs) so then once they told me about the paralysis, they, well, you're probably not going to walk. We really don't know. And I get it. They don't want to promise something that they can't deliver, but everybody had this pessimistic, gloomy outlook. And if I would have listened to those discussions and to those commentaries, then I would have taken on those beliefs. And I would have said, what's the point in even trying if it's not going to work? Or what am I even fighting for? How did you not listen to them? Because I think technically you have experts telling you these things. How do you brush them off and still carry on with, let's say, wanting to get better and getting yourself in a better place? That's where that faith comes into play and setting those intentions. Because I believe that God had a bigger plan for my life that didn't include paralysis or any other um, injury, that's what I held on to. So therefore, no matter what you're saying, no matter what title or degree that you have, I'm holding on to this belief because obviously, as I mentioned already, you have a track record record that was not necessarily correct in the first place. 
And so I held on to that. And then I set my intentions on what I desired. This is another crucial factor where a lot of people mess up. I always say fuzzy intentions produce fuzzy results. And so when you're not clear on exactly what it is that you want and don't want for your life, then it's easy to give in to the opinions yeah. of others. It's easy for their feelings to become your feelings. It's easy to stop fighting for what it is that you desire because you don't really know. And so for me, it was crystal clear. I wanted to walk without a wheelchair, without a cane, without assistance. I didn't want someone feeding me. I didn't want someone bathing me. I wanted to drive again. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it without needing the assistance of anyone or any else and that was my goal and that's what I focused on in that moment like it sounds like you were which is something that I can relate to is like really independent person so like in that moment when you are like it might even give some feeling of like powerlessness what I can never say this word right but you know what I mean <laughs> um, mm -hmm. where you're powerless and you pretty much like rely on others and others are taking care of you for quite a while. How do you deal with that? And maybe how does it, does it affect you anyway? Or what's the thought process in that moment? Because I think um, when I was talking to my course mate in the first episode, she said like, and there were times where we are walking out the store and I see that she's barely carrying her bags. And I asked her if she's okay with me carrying and she's like, no, 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 I'm okay. And I'm like, I can see that you're struggling, but she said that, and that's one thing that she said that, that for her, it's really important to feel like she still has some sort of control. She still has some sort of independence. Um, and she said that it's really hard for her to ask for help. So maybe like what's what was how would you describe was your situation? How did you deal with that? That's another fine line <laughs> that many of us struggle with asking for help, because on the one hand, you do want that independence. But on the other hand, it can be a very slippery slope towards um, being overwhelmed and trying to play the strong one. So I know in the States, we have this saying like, check on your strong friend, <laughs> the one that takes on all of the things for all of the people. And yeah. for me, I was the strong one. Um, and so you have to walk that fine line between having your independence and doing things yourself, but then also allowing people to help you because we can't do it all. No matter who we are, no matter what we go through, we cannot do it all. So for me, initially, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak. I couldn't write. I couldn't move. Um, you know, I was on a feeding tube. And then once that was removed, um, I was fed like soft foods and things like that. And you can't eat when you want to eat. <laughs> you have to wait for someone else to prepare your food. It's like an infant, like a child. And once I started to regain just a small movement in my right side, um, I tried to write and I, I couldn't write. And so, because I still wasn't able to speak and I literally had to learn things step by step. So for me, I had to do it so that I could learn so that I could regain the things that I desired to regain. Um, but then what had happened was once I regained all of those things and things on the outside seemed like it was back to normal, um, but on the inside, it really wasn't. 
I was still taking on all of the things and trying to do all of the things and not asking for help when I obviously needed help, like you said, with your friend. And what happened was it caused me to be overwhelmed. It caused me to be stressed. It caused me to put on this cape like I was this superwoman. And now I'm trying to live up to this belief of being this superwoman, this expectation of being the superwoman, which brings me back to the point that you mentioned earlier about not feeling good enough um, because my physical recovery happened so quickly I ended up walking out of the hospital in exactly one month's time to everyone's shock. And so even before I regained the ability to walk, there was already an article out about me that the headline front page news said miracle on the highway woman believed dead is now alive in Indianapolis hospital. And that was just because I, I wasn't dead. So there was that part. And then once I regained the ability to walk, granted, it was a very slow and wobbly walk. But the fact that I was up exactly one month later only added to that level of, oh, she's this miracle. And so I had people that called me miracle woman and walking miracle. And so again, there's this expectation that I'm trying to live up to. And I took on a lot of the things of other people. I said, yes, oh, I can help you with this or, oh, I can attend this event or, oh yes, I can support you. Even if it was to my own detriment, mind you, I'm still in school. And even years later, once I had children, (laughs) then I'm minding them. I'm minding my husband and showing up for everything. And so it becomes to start to take a toll on you. And I started averaging two to three hours of sleep um, and, and a whole emotional roller coaster that I'm sure we'll get into. But it brought that feeling back up to the forefront that I'm not good enough. I didn't feel good enough to be that person. I didn't feel good enough to be this superwoman, this miracle woman. And it only reinforced the feeling that I'm not good enough. It reinforced trying to do everything perfectly because it has to be perfect. If it's perfect, then I'm good enough. And then I can't make it perfect because perfect doesn't exist and so that reinforces well I'm not good enough because I can't make it perfect and so you try to make it perfect even more (laughs) and it's this cycle yeah that is something that um in a way like sometimes when people tell me about high standards um one thing I tell them is do you have high standards or is it a good reason for you to beat yourself up if you don't meet them because that's another pattern that people might have is that you set yourself really high standards that you know you can't reach or like you you set a time frame that is unreal and then you now have a reason to beat yourself up for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like one thing that you, as you were talking, um, I wanted to ask you like at what point did you learn to maybe set boundaries or maybe say more no to people or take learn to put yourself first, which, is, which I think is one of the three self pillars that you have is self-care. Um, and self-worth as well and self-discipline as well <laughs> but like <laughs> but focusing on those mainly um so like at what point did you because I think that's one thing that I also learned in last I would say like over one two years to actually put myself first instead of always helping everybody and then I forget about myself um, and I learned that as I was putting myself first and working on myself I was actually being able to help others without trying because they would look at me Mm -hmm. as what I'm doing. And they're like, Oh, I also want to try this. So 
um at what point did you maybe had realization that okay this is a bit too much I have to change something about it yes I remember that day like it was yesterday (laughs) and by this time I had two little ones with my husband I not only had graduated but I was in graduate school so I was working on my master's at the time I had a job I had businesses and all the things basically. So my children had their own activities. I'm trying to run my own two businesses. I was working an internship. And so for those that may be unaware, internships are usually free labor (laughs) as a requirement of some type of educational program. So I was working an internship and just all of these things on my plate, plus all of the work from my studies And I was trying to do all of the things for all the people. So not only do I have my own things, not only do I have my family's things, but then I'm trying to be a good friend. I'm trying to be a good daughter. And that's where I had started to mention earlier about, um, you know, yes, I can support your event or yes, I can do this for you or yes, I can help you with this. And that's whenever I had started to average uh, about two to three hours of sleep. And I know that some people are team no sleep, but I am a big advocate for team sleep. (laughs) Your body needs sleep. So even if you take out all of um, what you think you can survive on, your body needs sleep. For some of you, you might need 10 hours. For some of you, it's maybe six hours, but your body needs an adequate amount of sleep and two to three hours is not adequate. And so what had happened was I had became irritable, but I didn't even recognize it. So I'm generally a happy, positive, optimistic person, but Things like little things were very agitating to me. Um, You know, I might snap for no reason, like, turn that off. (laughs) Like, and I didn't need to be that harsh with it. Um, And so I was very irritable, very emotional, very moody, um, little bit of sleep. And so there are these little things that often we don't recognize as issues. We just go through them day to day. And so what had happened was one day I'm sitting at my desk and I hang up the phone from probably about the third or fourth phone call uh, that had bad news, so to speak. And this morning I had already realized that I had missed a deadline for an important paper for school. And um, my friend, she's messaging me her problem. So I'm trying to help my friend not thinking about I'm taking on those emotions as well. And then I had one bad phone call and then another bad phone call. And then then there was this bad phone call. And I was like, I hung up the phone and I just started bawling because this is all by 11 a.m., mind you. (laughs) So this isn't even later in the day. This was all by 11. And I just started bawling and bawling like the ugly snot face (laughs) that kind of crying. And I didn't know why and I couldn't stop. And it was then when it hit me, like, I'm doing too much. I am doing too much. And so I closed both my laptops because I had one for work, one for school. I I closed both of them. I didn't answer any more emails. I called my children's schools and I said, please send them to aftercare. I won't be to pick them up when school is out. And I went to sleep the rest of the day. 
that's all I did. Like I gave myself five minutes to cry and feel all the emotions because we have emotions for a reason. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, when you're stuck in victim mode, you give up your power for change. And here's the thing. We cannot make logical solutions from emotional places. So because I knew that I gave myself five minutes to finish my crying And then I said, okay, what are we going to do now? That's when I closed everything. I called the schools and then I went to sleep the rest of the day. I got up just in time enough to go pick my children up from daycare. And then I came home. I didn't cook. I didn't clean like I had planned to do. I just watched TV with my kids and ate pizza. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to sleep again. And the next day I felt so refreshed from just that little bit. And that's when it hit me. That's when it hit me, the importance of self-care. And when we're lacking self-care, we're less focused. We decrease our ability to be productive, to be effective. And we can't figure out why is it taking me two hours to do this 20-minute thing? And it's probably because you're lacking self-care. And so the next day when I woke up, the world hadn't ended because I didn't answer (laughs) emails. (laughs) And I made a plan. I said, okay, how can we do things differently? Because if just that little amount of sleep has made this much of a difference, what would happen if I'm proactive about my rest and putting myself first versus reactive? And that's whenever I became a big advocate for self-care and helping women, especially to understand the importance of self-care in our lives. I think many women have this where, we tend to put everybody first. Um, and it's in a way, I think it's, it might even be expected from others that mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't put them first, then they are getting angry or they are frustrated and things like that. But another thing is that we actually teach people what to expect from us. So it's not only their fault. It's like it, it, your behaviors also play a role in that. Um, but like that people... In a way, it might even be like people pleasing when when we say yes to everybody and everything. Which I know I'm naturally a people pleaser by nature, Absolutely. so I'm I'm recovering people pleaser. <laughs> um, but like maybe, how would you suggest people? I know that one thing that I had and other people have had is that when you start to actually put yourself first, you feel guilty for it, or you yes. feel like bad about it. So how? can somebody switch that mindset towards that? Because I think that is really important to change that perspective towards putting yourself first, that it's actually needed. It's not, it's not optional. It's not right. something that you have to feel bad about. So what I say is that you have to have boundaries and you have to remember that self-care is not selfish. Self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. And an analogy I like to use for that is that think about a buffet. So when you go to a buffet, you either have a whole bunch of fresh food before you or you have the little scraps and you're like, oh, they need to refill these. Whenever you're not practicing self-care, it's like you're getting the scraps of the buffet, the little leftovers, and you're trying to scrape the corners. And yes, you're being fed, but you're not being fed with the best food. And that's what happens when we lack self-care. When we prioritize self-care in our lives, it's like the people that we're serving, our family, our friends, um, our customers, 
customers or our coworkers or whatever it is that we do in our lives, then it's like we're serving them the full, fresh, nice, hot, <laughs> hot buffet. And so self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. And if you think you're doing a great job now, while you're putting everyone else first, just imagine how much more impactful you'll be when you put yourself first and you operate on a full tank instead of on an empty tank. And so that is something to think about. And society is usually the one that makes us feel guilty. And once we feel that guilt, we start to resort back into old ways. But again, we have to think about the analogy that I just gave. Or if you've ever rode on an airplane, then you know the very first thing they teach you in the safety um, instructions is that you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you go to help other people, especially children or old people, <laughs> because... If you don't, then you're going to die trying to help them because you run out of oxygen. And so it's the same thing in life. We have to put the oxygen on ourselves. We have to fill ourselves up before we go to help other people because we aren't being as effective. And eventually, the more that you lack self-care, then it starts to take an emotional toll on you, a mental toll on you, and that overflows to your physical health. Like how I mentioned with my story, I became irritable, I was moody, um, I was less focused and things like that. I procrastinated more because my to-do list kept growing and it was hard to tackle it because it was taking me so long to get things done. So if you have weight fluctuations, that can be a sign of a lack of self-care. If you have issues sleeping, falling asleep or staying asleep, that can be a sign of a lack of self-care. If you find yourself easily irritated or moody or things like that, that can be a sign of a lack of self-care. And so we have to make that intentional choice to say, no, I'm going to set boundaries and I'm going to put myself first so that I can be the best version of me to those that I am connected to. So let's say if somebody is like, well, I want to put myself first, but I don't know how, how do I do that? Because I think what? many, like many times in people's head, they, they know like, oh, I, I should do this and that, but they don't really see it as possible for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first thing is noticing that it is possible and we have to believe it's possible. And oftentimes people think of self-care as this big grand thing that's going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. And that is one of the biggest myths about self-care. It's not always shopping sprees and spa days. Can it be that? Absolutely. But those are more surface level self-cares. There's self-care that goes so much deeper. Self-care is saying no N-O period. No is a complete sentence. No explanation needed. Self-care is setting boundaries. Self-care is healing our past traumas and negative experiences. So self-care is often a whole lot messier than (laughs) it shows up in the media. (laughs) And so one thing that I always suggest for my clients to do is to take an inventory. And what I mean by that is Because oftentimes when we're lacking self-care, we sometimes lose what makes us happy and lose our sense of self. And so take an inventory, get out a sheet of paper and write down one through 50, just number it straight down the paper, one through 50, five, zero, 50. And then write down 50 different things that make you happy. 
50 different things that bring you relaxation, that bring you joy, bring you peace, whatever it is. And what's going to happen is you're going to write a whole bunch of stuff and then you're going to be like, oh, OK, that was good. And you're going to look at your paper and it's going to say 10 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to start to get a little bit stuck. But I encourage you to add something to that paper, even if you add just five things over 10 days and just complete it, because it's going to start to make you think, what do I really want? What does really make me happy? Things that you likely have not thought about because you've been putting everybody else first. And so by the end of it, you have this list of 50 different things that bring you happiness, joy, peace, relaxation. And then whenever you are feeling like you're becoming overwhelmed or stressed out, you can turn to that list and say, okay, I need to pick something from my list and do it today. And you'll find that some of the things take five minutes. Some of them take five hours. Some of them take no planning. Some of them take a lot of planning. Some of them are free. Some of them take, um, maybe you need to save some money and put it in your budget, but pick something every single day to do from that list at very minimum, two or three times a week, but preferably something every day, even if it's taken 10 minutes to just breathe deeply or taken 10 minutes to just Feel the water on your skin while you're in the shower before you start washing your body or after whenever. (laughs) So it can be little things like that. If it's 10 minutes to read your favorite book, those are the things that are going to fill you up. And you have my 100% permission to be 100% selfish with that list. Do not think about other people. Do not think about how it's going to affect them. Just what makes you happy. Yeah. Another thing that I... One thing that I talk quite a bit with other people when they, in a way, they are unhappy with their lives. And many times people go on vacations to escape those lives. And I tell them, find something to do every day so that you don't have to want to escape that life. Or like what I call selfish time, find like one hour a day where you can do whatever you want. And nobody can message you. Nobody can disturb you. Um, unless it's like of course like some big like something really crazy happening but it wouldn't happen often it's not something that would happen every day Um, right so have that selfish time where pretty much like nobody can reach you or disturb you and do what you want whether it's reading whether it's some hobbies or learn something new like one thing that I'm learning that I'm doing is each year I learn one new skill it doesn't have to be related to what I'm doing but it's Every year, it's something new. So that's how you can learn about yourself and just learn new things and just get a bit out of your head or some stresses you have. Just do something that it doesn't have to be like, that's one thing that I was, um, I had for a while where I was like, well, I don't know how to rest. Like, I can't just sit and do nothing. Like, I just can't. It's, it's not who I am. And then I just came up with that idea to just have some hobbies, learn something new or uh, do some sports try different sports or something like that where I was still being engaged I was still doing something but it wasn't something like work or something like that so that's one thing that that selfish time that's something that I have been implementing myself and that's when you don't want to escape from your life you're actually looking forward to that time with yourself (laughs) which is another thing that um, I think is really important to touch on is having this being confident 
or comfortable with being with yourself. Because I think many people, they're not comfortable by themselves. They always want to have somebody around, um, which probably goes into second point, uh, second pillar of three pillars of self, self-worth. Um, because I think mm-hmm. when you don't feel good about yourself, you want to avoid being by yourself. Um, so what, what are the things that you teach people when it comes to self-worth and how to build it up? Yeah, so all of the three pillars, self-care, self-worth, and self-discipline, they all interact together. (laughs) They intertwine. You can't have one without the other. And the thing about them is that they are a subconscious part of our lives, whether we recognize them or not. And they affect us personally and professionally, and they show up in our lives in those different ways. So when we're lacking self-care, when we're lacking confidence, when we're putting other people first, it's a result of how you're feeling about your self-worth. It's a result of the self-discipline you have to enforce your self-care and things like that and they just intertwine in so many different ways and so whenever we are putting ourselves first um, that affects our self-worth and we'll say that in the flip way whenever you are not putting yourself first you're subconsciously telling yourself worth that you're not good enough (laughs) which only feeds into that self-discipline that you procrastinate or you try to make everything perfect or you try to be a people pleaser and those things only usually feed right back into the feeling of not being good enough or the fear of failure fear of rejection fear you know all of those things that we discussed earlier and more and so with self-worth we have to to first believe that we are good enough. Every single thing starts in our minds. It starts as a thought and it overflows into our actions and it overflows into the way that we interact and engage with this world. So a thought has no meaning or emotion until we give it meaning and emotion. It's like how somebody could see a red car and for one person, they're neutral. The red car does nothing for them. For another person, the red car gets them really excited and they just love seeing that red car. And then for a third person, the red car gives them a panic attack, makes them anxious and, you know, flustered and and just belligerent. Why? It's the same red car. And it's because it's the meaning and emotion that we give to that red car. So for one, they don't care. For the other one, they love red, they love the cars, and so it gets them excited. For the other one, they maybe had a bad experience with the red car, and so it gets them in that state. And so we have to believe that we are worthy and good enough of the things that we desire because what we believe is going to manifest in our lives and it's going to show up in our actions. It's going to create the world that we live in. There's a saying that the life that you're living now is a result of the thoughts you had five years ago. And when you think about that, then it's like, oh, I better be mindful of my thoughts, especially if I don't want to live my current life five years from now. (laughs) So that's where, you know, being mindful of the things that you're thinking is very crucial and believing that you are worthy of what you desire and setting those intentions on achieving that, setting your intentions on catching any negative thoughts that you may have. Another thing I like to say is that if your friends talk to you the way that you talk to you, would you still be friends with them? Yeah. 
And for most of us, that answer is probably no, because we're usually very hard on ourselves. And we have to begin to change that language. We have to catch those negative thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts. And even if it's a little hard in the beginning, because especially if you've been doing it for all of your life, then eventually, if you tell yourself enough, the same thought, your brain will start to believe it. Because again, you give it meaning, you give it emotion, and your brain is going to believe what you tell it to believe. Yeah. So especially if you do it repeatedly. That's that's the only mm-hmm. way. Because like you build those another thing with thoughts is that you can have them, but you don't have to identify with them. It's like mm-hmm. let's say when it comes to crying, that's one thing that um like a few years back I had realization about it that um it's okay to cry. But all the thoughts that come in your head as you are crying, be aware of them, but don't identify with them. Because usually once you start identifying with them, then you start to cry even more and feel even worse about yourself. So that is one thing that for me, it's like pretty much like you explain it yourself that you had those like five minutes when you were crying. That's it. We're done crying. Emotion is out. We can move on. That's that's how I approach it right now. I don't suppress it. Um, I just let it flow but i don't identify with all the thoughts sometimes i'm when i'm looking back i'm like wow i was thinking this in that moment like how how did that come in my mind but many times we do identify with those thoughts and that's when we start to feel bad about ourselves and that those thoughts also affect our like um perspective so now if you think that nothing goes right for you then now you are looking for proof to actually make sure nothing goes right. So you focus on things <laughs> that actually can go wrong and eventually yes. they will because that's where your focus is going. Yes, yes, yes. Where your focus goes, your energy flows. Yeah. Absolutely. The things that you focus on are the things that you end up creating for your life. And it seems counterintuitive, especially when it comes to things that we don't want. Like we'll use money, for example. A lot of people can identify with money. So Whenever we're focused on lack and, oh, I don't have enough money for this. I don't have enough money for this, for this bill or for this thing I want to invest in. And I just don't have enough lack, lack, lack. We attract more lack into our lives and we never have enough money. But when we focus on abundance and, you know, being grateful and happy and blessed that, okay, I have everything I need right now. Every time I need something, it is provided for me. And we shift our thinking and say, you know, I'm happy that I have enough money to pay my bill. I'm happy that I was able to buy groceries today or whatever it is. When we focus on that abundance, we attract more abundance into our lives. And it's how like, can you, how can you like focus on How can you focus on that abundance in moment when let's say somebody is like, oh, I am confident, but they know that they are not or, oh, I have money, but they know that they don't because like reality around them is where they are in this moment. It's like, well, you don't have it. So how can they get in that abundance mindset despite what they have in this current situation? Because I think many times people get themselves in the situation or they come from situation where you have nothing. And then they're like, well, what do you mean I have abundance? I don't have abundance. Like, <laughs> so how can they switch that like mindset where they feel that they are, are in abundance as they are building towards that place? One thing that I like to use to help make that shift is to remember that everything could always be worse. 
So no matter where you are, no matter what you come from, no matter what level you are currently at, it could always be worse. And there are a million people that are further behind you begging, praying, desiring, wishing to be exactly where you are while you're trying to be where someone else is. Doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. There's always something, someone, someplace worse than where you're at. And that's the key to focusing on abundance. Because if you can think about, okay, I have this house, but Right now, my air conditioning is not working. Well, there's somebody that doesn't have a house at all. (laughs) And they just wish they had a house, whether it had air conditioning or not. Or let's say that I have this car and um, every time I stop at a red light, I have to do this because something is broken. And I'm complaining that I have this broken car. Well, there's somebody that doesn't have a car at all and they have to catch the bus. But even on the bus, there is somebody that um, doesn't have enough money to catch the bus. So they're on a bicycle. And then there's somebody that is walking that wishes they had a bicycle. And then there's somebody that is walking and they're upset that they don't have a bicycle. But then there's somebody that's in a wheelchair that wishes they could be uh, walking and be upset about a bicycle. And then (laughs) it just keeps going and going and going and going no matter what situation. And so whenever we stop and we're thankful for what it is that we have, even if it's not what we desire long-term, we attract more abundance. So thank you, God, for this car. Even though it's broken, I am grateful that I'm able to learn how to be resourceful. Yeah. And we flip it into a positive. Thank you, God, for this house. Um, even though the air condition is not working, I am grateful that I have a home to rest my head. I am grateful for this. I am grateful for that. And being grateful, always being in that place of gratitude for what you do have. Thank you. I might not have $10, but I have five. And five is enough to get me what I need in this moment. So When we are in that constant state of gratitude, we attract more things to be grateful for. And next thing you know, everything you need is always provided for you because you're always in that state of gratitude. It's a state of being. We have to be what it is that we desire even before it manifests in real time. Because again, Your thoughts are going to influence your actions and those subtle actions are going to influence the reality that you live in. Yeah. Um, That, that what you said about being the, before you attract what you want, you have to be in Well, that's, that's, I think one thing that uh, when it comes to people um, working towards like success or being successful, that, um, it's not about money. It's about the person you become. Or so mm-hmm. let, let's say if you want to become successful, focus on the person you need to be to, to be successful and you will naturally attract that success because you will be that person. Um, but I think it takes a lot of work with yourself to actually feel, to get in a place where you actually start to believe that. Because at first when you start working on yourself, well, yeah, but I'm like this. But then you keep working, working, working. Um, that's when you start to change um which is another topic that I wanted to touch on uh, identity because Mm -hmm. um, 
when you start to take different actions, you start to feed different beliefs about yourself because naturally you start to change. And then with time, your identity changes. Um, and where the identity came in, the question for me was about, so when you got in your accident, you were like 20 years old. And that's, you're like, you are still discovering who you are. You, you mm -hmm. haven't really fully formed identity. So, and then you lose your ability to talk, ability to move. You were like paralyzed. Um, and you had all these like conditions thrown at you <laughs> um, with like really smart names and things like that. So how, how does that, did that any way affect your identity? Because I think like those kind of moments in life, they can really affect the person you are. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a struggle because, um, you know, we talked about the physical recovery, which happened very quickly, even though I had ongoing, sur not surgery, <laughs> ongoing yeah. therapies afterwards. Um, it was the emotional recovery that was the biggest obstacle and that took much, much longer um, than the physical recovery did. And so it kind of became that who am I type of thing. And that's whenever I really started to dive headfirst into understanding psychology and personal development and things like that, because I have, on the one hand, everybody calling me a miracle. On the other hand, I'm still feeling like the same Lindsay. Yeah. But on another hand, if I had three hands, it's like, well, who is Lindsay? What does she stand for? What does she desire? Um, you know, how is Lindsay going to make an impact in this world? Um, what brings Lindsay happiness? And that's whenever it was easy to fall into the expectations of others. And when we're trying to live up to the expectations of others, Others, we become who they yeah. experience. Oftentimes, unfortunately, many of us are living up to the expectations of other people, of our friends, of our significant others, of our parents. I see that a lot. Uh, well, my mom wants me to go to school for this, or my mom and dad want me to do this. Well, they're paying for my education, so I have to do this. And that plays into our sense of self-worth, that plays into our overall fulfillment and happiness. And so we have to identify who am I? And that takes some soul searching, that takes some deep work, that takes some reflection, that takes willing to be by yourself, even if it's uncomfortable, because sometimes we don't want to be by ourselves because we're running from what we may face if we are alone. And so we have to realize that being by yourself is not a bad thing. And that's a great time for self-discovery because you don't have any outside influences yeah. trying to mold you into something that they want you to be. So it's very important that we are aware of how we're engaging in our own lives and the things that we're doing and, you know, taking notice, like, I really like this. And I really don't like this, or <laughs> I feel really happy and at peace whenever I'm doing this, or this brings me a lot of anxiety, even just thinking about it and taking note of those because our bodies will give us signs as well. Those physical things that we feel being anxious versus being at peace about something that we're doing or thinking, um, those are signs as well as other things. So we have to take note of every single thing and be as self-aware as possible. 
and I think like that time with yourself, you build, that's when you can build really strong connection with yourself where you learn to trust yourself more. And that's when external things will affect you less. Um, and like one, one thing that I had when you mentioned um, parents, uh, when, I when I told my dad that I want to study psychology, he was like, are you sure you want to do that? Because um, I had like really good marks in school and he wanted me to go more towards like business and things like that, which is still something that I'm interested in. But I have always known that psychology is my thing. Like I am really passionate about it. Um, but then like with time, he, he went back and looked at like programs and he was like, actually, it looks pretty good. Like go for it, mm -hmm. which is like something I'm thankful for because our parents, they're like uh, encouraging us to learn what we want to learn. They don't force us. They, you might still feel some resistance, but if you're persistent enough, you will be able to do what you want to do. Um, <laughs> but like with another thing with identity um, that when you were talking about past, many times people identify with the past and they allow that past to affect their identity or who they are. And in your case, when you mentioned that, and you have mentioned in this conversation as well, that you just past is past. So how are you in the moment when you are still recovering and you have to focus on recovery, you are like, you are just out of like one week that you can't even remember. You're in pain. You can't even eat yourself. How you not identify with even like your condition or I think you also in Clubhouse, you mentioned that um, they said you that you're learning or thinking is affected or something like that and that might be mm -hmm. affected you as well um but how you not identify with that past because that's something really significant that happened and you're mm -hmm. like okay this is past like i don't focus on that <laughs> i think that's not like especially if you have reminders in the present of that past i think that's when it's even harder not to identify with it so what was the process that you had when it comes to like the past and not not letting your past affect the present so with that, you know, I talk about this a lot in my book, First Class Life, 10 Key Factors to Creating a Life Full of Purpose, Fulfillment, and Happiness. And there are so many different moving pieces that all collectively played a part in that ability to keep moving forward. And so whenever I do talk about a first class life, it's actually an acronym and each letter of first class life stands for a different factor that we want to incorporate into our lives as much as possible. For example, earlier we were talking about having that faith in something bigger than yourself. And so F in first yeah. stands for faith. The I in first stands for being intentional. And so I had to do that. Because as I mentioned earlier, I can't change the past. It doesn't matter what I were to do. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back yeah. and take a different way. Or I can't go back and, um, you know, not visit my mom. How did you accept that? that? How did you accept the fact that you couldn't change it? Because like naturally, like you wouldn't want to be in the situation you were in. How did you accept that? Okay, this is what it is. That's where intentions come into okay. play because I was very focused on what I did want. Because what happens is that sometimes when a situation happens to us, we live in it, we sit in it, and we think, okay, this happened. This is the end. This is all that my life is good for. And when we believe that, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. 
So for me, I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that this is what my life resulted to. And because I didn't believe that, I had to ask myself, okay, what kind of life do I want to live? And so that's something for everybody to do. Whatever situation you are in right now, ask yourself, is this how I want to live my life a year from now, five years from now? 10 years from now, the rest of my life? And if the answer is no, then okay, then what is the alternative? And you have to identify that. Okay, if I don't wanna live like this, then how do I want to live? That's the starting point. Then you have to focus on how you want to live. You can't focus on what's in front of you because that can trick you (laughs) and keep you stuck if we only focus on what we can see right now, because sometimes the things that we need aren't given to us until we move and take action down a certain path. Then they show up at just the right time. But if we're stuck where we're at, then obviously they're never going to show up. So that's why you have to set your intentions. Okay. This is what I desire. I'm not focusing on my right now. I'm not focusing on what I have in front of me. This is what I desire. So that's, that's. You want to be, then you only focus on the next step, not all 100 steps, just the next step. Okay. What is the first thing that I need to do, or I need to believe to move the needle just a little bit? And then you get there and then you ask yourself that question again. Okay, what's the next thing that I need to do to move the needle just a little bit more? One of my favorite quotes by Dr. Martin Luther King says, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And that's exactly what you're doing in this moment. You're setting crystal clear intentions on what it is that you desire for your life outside of what it looks like. And then you're believing that you're worthy of that, that you desire. And then you subconsciously make little changes in your behaviors, little changes in your thought patterns that ultimately end up creating exactly what it is that you desire and the things that you need will come along the way. That um, I think small changes or what I call baby steps, they're underestimated. Like they actually add up and they add up pretty big. Um, Like what, what is, what role does patience play in this? A lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) You gotta have patience because everything's not going to come to you overnight. And I have to be very clear with my coaching clients that when you're working on mindset, it's not going to happen overnight. So let's say that you are um, going to make a pie. You can go to the store, get the ingredients, come home, make the pie. And that's literally done in one day. But when you're changing your mindset, it's literally like you're doing brain surgery on yourself. And brain surgery takes recovery time. So if you think about a professional athlete, when they have an injury, especially an injury that results in surgery, they don't just instantly get back up after the surgery and they're all ready to go again. If they they do, they will be out pretty soon. (laughs) Right. And probably even worse. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
They have to have that rest period after surgery, and then they have to gradually ease back into yeah. therapy, physical therapy. And even once they recover, they still have to do things differently so that they don't re-injure themselves. And they usually have that ongoing um, workout that they have to do to maintain whatever it is that was broke. And so when you're shifting your mindset, it doesn't happen overnight. And it takes the little time adjustments that add up to those big moments. And you have to remember, you're essentially racing decades of limiting beliefs and yeah. decades of things that have held you back. And so first you have to identify them, heal them, cut them out, and then replace them, and then get in the habit of the new things you replace yeah. them with. That takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And that's the biggest struggle for a lot of people to come to terms with because we live in an instant society, a microwave society. We want it right now, right now, right now, 24-hour delivery, drive-through, yeah. five minutes, in and out. But that's not how life works. Yeah. With the like good good example that I heard um, Andrew Priscilla mention um, was about the cake. So when you're baking cake, you have certain temperatures, certain time, how much you, how long you need to bake it. You can't speed it up just by making the temperature higher. It's not the way it works. So it's mm -hmm. the same with patients in the process of like um, success in a way, like I don't look at success only as like financial in any area. So in any area that you want to work on, you can't speed it up. You just, you have to be patient with time. It takes time. Um, so like going back to the first class. So you said the first one is faith. The second is intentions. Um, what's, what's the next one? R stands for reflective. Oh, and that's reflection. Being, <laughs> yes. That's where being self-aware comes into play because here's what's always happening. You are either influencing your environment or your environment is influencing you. And you have to make the decision on what is happening. But unfortunately, so many of us don't recognize that and we allow our environment to influence us. So using my rec as an example, in that case, I was going to influence what my environment looked like. I wasn't taking on the opinions of my environment. Again, if I had, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Who knows what I'd be doing? Yeah. I wouldn't be as happy. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, so... We have to recognize how we are in interacting with our environment. And an example of that is, have you ever walked into somewhere and you've never been there before, you've never even heard anything about it, but it could have been a restaurant, it could have been a building, it could have been anywhere, but you walked in and all of a sudden you feel uneasy you feel nervous or you don't know why you can't explain it. You just feel like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. That environment is influencing you and you have that gut reaction that is trying to tell you, this is not the environment that you need to be in. That environment is taking a toll on your feelings and emotions. And so here's what happens when we're not aware of our environments we continue to stay in that environment and we will allow that negative space to 
negatively affect us even more. And it takes a toll on our mental health. And we can't figure out why am I feeling this way all the time? You're going deeper into the environment (laughs) that is causing you to feel this way. And next thing you know, you're deep down in the basement of that building. And it's like, oh, now how do I get out? But when you recognize from the beginning that, okay, this environment is causing me to feel like this. I need to remove myself from the situation. Then it's like, okay, that's self-aware, that reflection. Yeah. Like, all right, now I know maybe these people cause me to feel a certain way, or maybe this certain place causes me to feel a certain way. And so you either remove yourself from that place or you make the choice to change it. So I know that when I walk a room, walk in a room, my goal is that everyone I come into contact with is better or happier than how I met them. Like my goal, whenever I walk into a room is to be a light, a space of brightness where, you know, everybody is, is joyful or at least, like I said, better than how they were before. I mean, we can all think about those Debbie Downers or David Downers, <laughs> don't want to just use Debbie, uh, negative Neds or Debbie Downers. And it's like, anytime they're in the room with you, you already know that they're complaining, they're being negative, they have a problem for everything, and they're just really bringing the mood down. So are you going to allow them to bring your mood down? Or are you going to make the decision to bring the mood up? So we have to be reflective and self-aware of not only how we're impacting our environment, but how our environment is impacting us. And also, I think with reflection, um, that's that's why I usually say that if you want to raise awareness, start reflecting on yourself. Because mm-hmm. even when it comes to limiting beliefs, um, I describe it as being in a dark room. And if I would throw you a ball, you wouldn't be able to catch it because you can't see it. And the awareness mm-hmm. is that light switch where you can actually see what are your limiting beliefs. Um, because if you're not aware of them, it's really hard to work on something that you don't even know exists. So reflection yeah. is really big. Usually it's like the first point to touch on when you want to work on yourself to actually understand and be aware of, okay, what actually are the main challenges or the main limiting beliefs or the things that I actually want to work on or my environment? How am I affected by my environment? So that's like really, really big. Okay, so what's the next one? Um, let's see. So we did F-I-R, then there's S. So the first S is self-care, which we talked about yeah. earlier and the importance of that. And one thing I didn't mention earlier is that when we lack self-care, we can actually be stressing ourselves to death. And this oh, yeah. is all science, things that you can look up and research and all those things. But all of us have something called cortisol that releases in our bodies. And the thing about cortisol is that it's beneficial in short burst. So if you are in a life or death situation, like let's say that you're sitting at your desk and a giant dinosaur comes, rips the roof off your house (laughs) and is going to eat you, your brain is going to go into fight or flight and your body is going to release a burst of cortisol throughout your body to help you get to safety. And then once you are safe, that cortisol will start to dissolve away. Until the next time, it has to help you get to safety. But when we're constantly stressed out and overwhelmed and just taking on everything and anxious, we're constantly releasing cortisol. 
And that is not good for our bodies because like I said, it's just meant for short burst. But when we're constantly worried about everything, we're telling our brain that we're in this constant state of fight or flight. We're in this constant state of things are not good for me. Help, help, help. Things are not good for me. Help. And so we're constantly releasing cortisol. And when we have that constant release of cortisol, it causes things like increase of heart disease or increased risk of heart attack. Um, it causes weight fluctuations and all kinds of other health issues that once they happen to us, we attribute to something else. (laughs) And, and it's really, we are lacking self care. So that's, you know, these are the things that people don't recognize, don't realize. And I get it because, you know, it's all the science and biology and psychology of everything. Um, But it's important that we're aware of how a lack of self-care actually affects us in the long term. I think like having science actually is more helpful that science is actually backing it up. Because like right now I'm reading a book by Joe Dispenza, um, and he was talking there about, I think, what is, wait, I will check the name, Becoming Supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. I knew it's something about like supernatural, but uh, I didn't know what exactly. So he was, he was telling about how chronic stress pretty much creates you physical illness. And yep. I think now when there's actually more science behind it, that's where people can start to take it more seriously because there's actual proof, there's actual science of that being true because like when it's just like if somebody told you that you're like well it's crap I don't believe it like what (laughs) what are you talking about um my thoughts can affect my health like what do you mean I'm healthy Mm -hmm. um but or like stress and things like that but now having science behind it I think that's where many people can like it can help people to open eyes to how important that is to actually take care of yourself Because if you don't, well, you might end up with some physical illnesses just because you don't Mm -hmm. take care of your stress levels or just like yourself in general or your your like mental health. Because it's not that you, I think another (laughs) one thing that people have, and I had for a while as well, was that we separate our heads from our bodies Mm -hmm. as (laughs) if it was like something else like our body is not part of us and you just neglect your body and your health and like with uh, eating or like physical activities and things like that but actually like you have to take care of your body because even like when people tell that they don't have enough time to take care of themselves or exercise I'm telling them well first when you start exercising you actually will have more energy so you will actually be able to do more and you will get more done in less time so (laughs) that actually is you by exercising you actually cut down time that you will spend on like certain tasks which is ironic but and then they're like well but i don't have time well then find it if it's important (laughs) you will find time (laughs) that's so true that is absolutely true and that's why i love what i do because you know there's the science piece of it it's there's scientific evidence and then there's also spiritual evidence. And so a lot of times people like to separate the two and they say, well, you can't be a believer in whatever you believe in and you can't believe in science. And it's like, why not? They were all (laughs) uh, created together and, and they actually 
complement one another. If you looked at um, the spiritualities and read the Bible or, you know, whatever your belief system. And if you look at scientific research and things, they actually complement each other. It's just where science falls is that people say you have to see it. But then there's already so many things that we do in life that we don't see. Like we don't physically see the air unless it's really cold outside, <laughs> right? And yet we are still breathing every day. I can't see the air right now, but I know the air is going in and out of my lungs. And so whenever we combine the two, they complement each other and they only like reinforce and grow our understanding of how we're interacting with the world and how the world is interacting with us and how we can do things in our lives to create the life that we desire yeah definitely so what are we at t first t letter t mm -hmm. thankful which oh, we yeah. talked about gratitude yeah, <laughs> we already touched on some of them anything mm -hmm. you want to add about gratitude they all play together they all play together and you know these these factors that I came up with, um, I'm all about living that first class life. And it's not about, um, how can I say this? It's not about what you think. Well, it is about what you think. That's, that's the whole basis of everything. It starts with your thoughts, but it's about creating the life that you desire. And it's not about, you know, what others have. It's not about what others think that you should do. It's about what you want and knowing that you're worthy of what you want and you have the full capabilities of achieving what you want. But it starts with you understanding that you have the power to create that first class yeah. life. It's like, again, if you've rode on a plane before, nobody wants to sit in economy in the all squished up with each other by the bathrooms, you know, we all want to be in first class where everything is like, even if you've never been in first class, you know, first class is a lot more fancier. You yeah. get better food, you get better seating. It's a lot more comfortable. And unfortunately, so many of us are living in an economy style lifestyle, but we have the ability to move ourselves from first class into that that space and it's making the choice the intentional choice to say okay i'm going to create my first class life and then how do you do that well you break first class life down into the different factors and some of us were already great on some of those factors like you already may um, be thankful about everything and always practicing gratitude and always living in a state of abundance, but maybe you aren't very intentional. And, you know, so there's all of these factors and the more that we can incorporate all of the factors, then the better quality of life that we will live. And, you know, sometimes some of them need a little more work than others, but as long as we're always being mindful of all of the things and working on all of the things, then, we're going to create that first class life. And the beauty behind it is that not only is our lives positively impacted for ourselves and we're living our dreams, but everybody that's connected to us yeah. is also positively impacted because it's like a ripple effect. And you're either making a negative ripple or a positive ripple. And when you're living your first class life, you're making a positive ripple. And it's actually like a tidal wave because it's even bigger than being where you are now in economy so 
I think like with when it comes to comfort, uh, let's say in the first class you have more comfort, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that to have bigger comfort, it might take you a bit more discomfort to get there than yeah. the comfort that you have right now. So like, mm -hmm. it's just like you, you, you really choose which comfort you want by how much discomfort you are willing to get into to get there. Um, so they pretty much like go hand in hand. If you want to be more comfortable, um, be willing to just take, get a bit more out of your comfort zone and be uncomfortable a bit longer or a bit more to get there. Exactly. Because every decision that I've made that made a significant difference in my life started with discomfort. It started with being out of my comfort zone and stepping into something unknown, um, you know, facing that uncertainty and saying, you know what, this isn't certain, but I'm going to do what I can for what it is that I desire. And I know that in my current space with what I see with my current eyes is not what I desire. So, you know, maybe it's being uncomfortable um, saving, not spending as much, or maybe it's being uncomfortable by yourself. Like we yeah. talked about earlier, um, you know, finding that alone time when really you don't want to be by yourself. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's being uncomfortable um, in your career so that you can ultimately, I know if I do this for just one year, then it's going to get me to this next year. But instead, too many of us are saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't have a plan for that. I don't have the money for that. I don't have the help. I don't have the support. Whatever I feel you have no control. Yes, I don't have the control. It's so funny because I just messaged someone yesterday. They were talking about, well, I want to know what it is. I don't like surprises. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you can't. Life is full of surprises. <laughs> Tripping, we're only causing ourselves unnecessary stress, overwhelm, anxiety, and everything. So I think like with the I don't know, usually with, with comfort, one thing that I that I have learned is well, first thing is that people try to avoid getting out of their comfort zones. Um, mm -hmm. either it's fear or that uncertainty. Uh, because like they they don't know how it is not to be who they are or not to take actions that they take. That's that's the only thing they know. So it's really uncomfortable to actually even think about taking different kinds of actions because you don't know what will happen with your world. Like what if everything is coming down and there's chaos? Um, but like one thing that I, I have learned is to actually seek that discomfort and be excited about it. Um, like mm -hmm. even like when I was starting podcast, I was nowhere near like perfect. I'm still not like it's it's still a learning curve. But that's another thing. Like I I'm also perfectionist um, recovering. Um, so that's when I was like, well, I don't have everything perfect. That's exactly why I have to start because then I will embrace that imperfection, and I will mm -hmm. also show somebody else that you don't have to be perfect to start. It's all about starting and taking action and learning along the way. And many things, another thing is that when you start, you can't really predict certain things that will come up. No matter how perfect your plan is, you can't come up with everything that might come up along the way. You just can't. It's impossible. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. Um, so uh, first class. So what? what are the... What is the class standing for? 
So the C is for confidence. We discuss confidence and what that actually looks like and how you can increase what I call your confidence power because we all have a confidence power. And is yours at zero or one or is it at 10? And how high up on the scale are you? And you always have the ability to move it higher, um, which is going to affect how you influence your environment, which goes back to that reflection, because you can be negatively confident. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that one time when I was working as a therapist, I was doing intensive in-home therapy for at-risk families. And plus I had my businesses and everything. Long story short, I live by my planner. Like phones are nice and everything, but I have my handy dandy paper planner and I write everything down in it. And my schedule was different from day to day. And so I was moving from one client to the next client and I had checked my voicemail and there was um, a voicemail from a gentleman and I don't remember his name exactly, but we'll call him Dave. Dave was like, hi, Lindsay, this is Dave. And today is Wednesday, August 14th. And he just goes on with his message. And he was so confident that I started to question what day it was. And I didn't even recognize it, but he was just confident. And I'm listening to that message. I hung up the phone and I was like, today is Wednesday. Today's the 14th. Oh no, I missed an appointment. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, I missed it. How did I completely miss this appointment? Today is the 14th. Like, what? Oh no. And like, I had to stop and say, wait a minute. Today's the 14th. It can't be the 14th. Is it the 14th? And I had probably a good five minutes where I'm trying to figure out that today was the 14th and he was right. And how am I wrong? How did I miss an entire day? And how did I go about my schedule (laughs) completely off? And then finally, I said, Lindsay, today is not the 14th. (laughs) And I even opened up my planner to double check. And I was like, no, your schedule is completely different on the 14th versus the 13th. And you, like this man was wrong, but he was so confident that it influenced me. And I started to believe that I was wrong. And so that's why it's important that we are one confident, but making sure that we're confident in the right things because we have the ability to influence our environments, whether we recognize it or not. And so it's becoming aware of your confidence power and how you have the power to impact the people around you. And when you're living your first class life, you are always on a mission to make a positive impact, um, never to make a negative impact, at least not intentionally. And if you were to make a negative impact and just making sure that you have the integrity to correct that but we're always on that path to make a positive impact through our confidence okay um l right next leadership leadership Mm -hmm. okay leadership is really big um anything you want to touch on when it comes to leadership So with leadership, that kind of plays into that confidence as well. And just knowing that all of us are leaders, whether we have a title or not, whether we feel like we're leaders, every single one of us uh, is a leader. Um, Maybe you're a leader in your home. Maybe you're a leader in your your community. Maybe you're a leader at work. Maybe you're a leader amongst your friends. We all have the ability to be a leader and we are all a leader. We all are a leader in our 
respective skills and talents. So um, you might be a leader in podcasting, whereas I'm a leader in coaching and speaking. Um, Somebody else might be a leader in singing or somebody else a leader in putting together puzzles. It's important that we embrace who we are, flaws and all, um, in our leadership abilities. So that is L. A is for action oriented. You got to take action. Um, the action is S- huge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't have any of this without taking yeah. action. You know, that's one of the things I hate when people say vision boards don't work and goals don't work. And it's not that they don't work. It's just that unfortunately, so many of us only rely on that or we oh, yeah. set them up incorrectly. Um, so you have the one people, one group of people where they make a vision board and then they do nothing else. And they expect that the vision board is going to be some magic pill. No, that is just one tool to help you accomplish your goals, to help reinforce your goals, to help remind you of your goals. Um, but that is not the end all be all. And then you have the other group of people that, um, make the vision board and they don't want to take any action. (laughs) They just say, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, But you have to have the vision and then take the action. They go hand in hand. So got to take action. The S is for self-worth and self-discipline. So you see where those three pillars come into play. And then life is for lifelong learner. I is for being an investor. And I don't mean just a financial investor. I mean, being a wise investor of your time, money, and energy. Um, You're always exchanging time and energy, no matter what. Um, Sometimes you're exchanging money, but always exchanging time and energy. And even like money itself is like energy in a way. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. You give the value to the dollar. And then the F is for fearless. Just, you know, we can't be afraid to get out of our comfort zone. And the E is for empowering. Um, We have to be willing to empower those around us, empower ourselves by doing all the things in first class life. And so I go into detail more about all those things. Like this is my book right here. Yeah. First class life. to get it as well. Yes, it is amazing. And, you know, I understand that people learn in different ways. And so I I really took the time to make a comprehensive resource for personal growth, for personal development. And so every chapter has a complimentary resource and you just go to the link and download the resource to go with that chapter. And then um, there's also a full workbook. There's a coloring book. Not everybody likes to read, although reading is very good for you. Um, You know, the coloring book aligns with the book. And so you only reinforce it. I know for some people, coloring is not relaxing (laughs) because that perfectionism kicks in. Um, But for many coloring can be relaxing, (laughs) right? (laughs) For many people, coloring is very relaxing. And so as you are relaxing your mind and coloring, you're reinforcing the things that I talk about in the book, you know, that repetition is, is the key to mastering something the more you engage with it and use all of your senses to engage with something, the more you're going to retain it, the more you're going to incorporate it, and the more you're going to make it your lifestyle versus just something that you read or heard on a podcast. 
Yeah, that's one thing that I learned because I'm 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 a big bookie. Like I love books. Um, but one thing I learned is that it's not enough to know. You actually have to act on it. So <laughs> that's been exactly. like a big lesson for me. But um, but yeah. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for your time. This conversation was. I knew it will be amazing to start with. But <laughs> but it's been like really good and there's a lot of um value in it, like just from your story or your experience from like working with others. Um so thank you for taking your time to come and add value to my listeners and um hopefully you get something out of it as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor to be able to, you know, just share my passion, my joy. And I do have a a complimentary resource for everyone listening. So if you go to bit.ly forward slash take action download, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash take action download, then you'll be able to download my red light, green light action guide. And it's going to help you to break down a goal into um, bite-sized pieces in an effective way that you're more likely to actually take action yeah. on steps and the plan that you created to achieve that goal. Yeah, I will leave all the links below as well from where they can find you, websites, um, this link that you mentioned so that um, they can actually start taking action. If they want to find you, they can find you as well. Look into what you're doing and what your um, what are your services and things like that because I you definitely can add a lot of value for sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes. My website is liveafirstclasslife.com and I can be found across all social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Lindsay Vertner. So as long as you spell my name right, you'll find me. It's at Lindsay Vertner on all the platforms. I think spelling name is one of the challenges for me as well. <laughs> like my name, it's just like nobody knows how to spell it. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you again. <laughs>